You're joining us for episode 66 of the Rocky Talkie podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Riccatoni, um, doing a live recording uh, at the Annex Hotel in downtown Toronto, Ontario, joined by a new friend and a very talented uh, artist by the name of Joel Malkin. Joel, welcome to my hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, my, my ad hoc uh, studio. So right off the bat, I, I was going to say, like, artist graphic illustrator what what's the term that you want to use for what you do that's actually something that i still haven't nailed down and sometimes it depends on who i'm talking to which part i want to accentuate yeah um i think artist might be a little bit of a stretch i think what i'd say normally is illustrator um but then some of the work inevitably kind of veers into graphic design okay if it's used for like packaging or some kind of branding there's always some typography so i would say illustrator graphic design artist um i've loved drawing for a long time i studied art at concordia but something about something about doing work for other people or being commissioned for something makes me feel like it's not i'm not an artist per se i don't even know if that's what defines it, but, um, that's good. That's going to be an excellent campground to camp on. Okay. And, and, and chat, put a pin on that one. Okay. Cause I, because yeah, that the I whole, I want to give too much away. The but. whole art tension of, uh, when, when am I an artist and when am I not? And why, why do I feel the way I feel about my process and all that bullshit? Yeah. Uh, cause, cause a lot of it is, but it's, it's what creatives like us struggle with is yes. the parameters of like, when is it good art? When is it creative when am I whoring myself to her yeah. bottom line? Yeah. I mean, look, if I'm applying <laughs> to an artist grant, I'm 100% an artist. Right. But I mean, other than that, I think what I would normally say as illustrator, but yeah, we can okay. get into the nitty gritty of it. Uh, well, when I, when I see your work, uh, I see art and it excites me. And um, I appreciate I, that. It, this, it happens almost all the time. If you're sitting in front of me, it's because I, I, I stumbled upon something and I went, oh my God, this is stunning I, I love your stuff okay so we always start the same way because i genuinely am fascinated by people's stories and um i know how i was motivated and inspired early on in life and, mm -hmm. and those 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 exclamation moments were like oh my god that song that moment that scene in a movie i'm forever changed yeah uh, i would love to hear how this process of being an illustrator um, where that started and what that looked like and how old you were. What do, what do you remember from the origin story of, of Joel? That's okay. So illustrator as a job, I'm not exactly sure, but from a very young age, I love drawing yeah. and it was, I know most kids love drawing. Um, I was obsessed with it. It's kind of all I did. I, my first love was drawing dinosaurs. That's oh, all I wanted to do. Like my son. I saw Fantasia, nice. um, than Jurassic Park and that that's kind of but I think you know at some point kids kind of maybe grow out of that for the most part I never really did um actually there was a little bit of a lull in like maybe my high school years where I was really into football and skateboarding and drawing maybe fell to the wayside a little bit um but when I was taking my first kind of survey year in university uh, in the University of Saskatchewan. I remember my grandfather, who was an artist, like I was just, I really, I was like, I don't know what to take. Like I took one drawing class, I really liked it. I, you know, took social sciences and, uh, and he said, why don't you just take 
like a whole year of drawing classes. Like you love drawing. And I never really thought of it as like a viable career opportunity. Mm. Cause when you're, I don't know when you're in university, all I was thinking is like, how am I going to get a job? Yeah. And, um, and he said, why don't you just do a year, uh, a year of that and see how it goes. Uh, I eventually, I did the year I built up a portfolio. I was happy enough with, and I had just gone to Montreal to visit. I had family there, my aunt and my cousin, and I kind of fell in love with the city. Um, being from Saskatoon, it's not exactly the most bustling art scene. Um, so I got there and I was just kind of enamored by the city. And, and I knew Concordia had a pretty prestigious art program. So I decided to apply and it was, it was all kind of, it was a few whims after another, like, happened, why don't I just go to, right you know, when I take a, a, you know, an, a year of art classes, a painting, a drawing, build my portfolio. Why don't I apply to this? And I just kind of kept rolling with the punches wow. and then I ended up studying studio art at Concordia. So, so you, you had a Dorothy moment where you went from black and white to the land of Oz and yes. Technicolor. Yes, absolutely. Wow. That's incredible. And is Saskatoon considered the prairies? Yes. Sask- part of the prairies. Yes. Saskatoon is in, uh, this is where Saskatchewan. I'm oh my yeah. God. It's the big city. Of, I know more um, about the States than I know about Canada. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was going to say it, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to let you do the thing. <laughs> okay. So how long have you been, uh, in the Quebec, Ontario part of the world? Yeah. Um, so I started Concordia in 2012. So that's when okay. I moved to, to Montreal. Um, and then I probably, I mean, technically I still live there. Though I've been spending a lot more time in Toronto lately. Um, though my kind of back and forth with Toronto really started probably in 2021. Um, so I was very bored of my one bedroom apartment during COVID lockdown and Montreal had pretty strict. Yeah, um, I heard. <laughs> yeah, strict curfews and I was a little over it and my friends uh, Zach and Carm had just moved to Toronto and opened up two restaurants so Dreyfus and Bernhardt's oh really and you know yes. those guys yeah awesome and so yeah they're my good friends and they were about to open up Vilda's which is right across the street from Bernhardt's another uh, another spot and they kind of just said you know you're bored in Montreal why don't you come here help us brand the restaurants like we're gonna have to kind of reopen and everyone had to kind of shift to takeout and there was right. a lot of oh, yeah. design involved in that. Like some like either packaging, takeout, like graphics, that kind of thing. Uh, some new menus for when they got to reopen. That's a good point. You say that because not to cut you off, but, but all of us in the, the service world, yeah. um, I mean, everybody, we're not special, but the amount of pivoting and reinvention yes. that had to take place yeah. for the restaurant world, you, you must have come on. You must have been an absolute godsend for them because you basically helped reopen a business within a business. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, but it was a godsend for me too. I right. mean, not, not saying it was great overall, but it was still something like, cause I, so I worked in restaurants back then and, um, I was, you know, starting to, as I got more contracts in illustration and design, I was taking fewer and fewer restaurant shifts, but I was still probably at that point working three to four days a week. Cool. Um, so when COVID shut everyone down, I was kind of jobless and a little bit terrified for about a month. And then when everyone realized like, okay, this is not just a two week thing. Right. This is like, we're going to actually have to pivot for yeah. like a significant amount of time, probably. Um, then yeah, I got a lot of requests and uh, probably the first one was uh, Beba in Montreal. And um, 
Ari and my brother was the head chef there for a long time up until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and they just said, and like, it's, it's, you know, it's fine dining. It's a, it's that, a really nice you? restaurant. You yeah. Did that? But they just said like, how about something a little cutesier, a little more accessible for takeout? Like we don't want to see, we want it to seem like it's perfect. Yeah. And so it was just kind of a little, you know, we, I did this little empanada character, which like, I like it. I love it. But but a lot of people like and Ari would even say to me like people people love this and it and it kind of caught on and then so uh and a lot of restaurants even if it was just like a two and a half inch round sticker that they could close their container with like people would take pictures of it but you that's know, post everything it on everything yeah. and then and it'd be kind like, like there there definitely was like the first few months of that summer where everyone was kind of realizing that there was it was a necessity to kind of get some kind of yeah. alternate branding out there. And, uh, the eyes eat first. They, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're another person that, that, uh, although COVID was a hot steaming pile of shit. Yeah. Um, it was in some regards, uh, a serious, uh, Genesis absolutely. spot for people. A, a lot of, a lot of people, although it sucked and it took a chunk out of people, most people I talked to professionally mm-hmm. and creatively, um, they, they seem to be a better version of themselves on the other side of that as a result of having to pivot and recreate. It was, yeah. So for me, it's not like what I did. Like I, they were pivoting and that got me work. Right. But it's not like I really changed what I did. For me, it was mostly like the balance of, okay, I'm working, you know, three or four nights a week in a restaurant, which is very draining. Yep. And then on the days where you're not doing that, then you have to like kind of find a way to jumpstart your career and be a real like self-starter. And for me, that like two month ish period when everything was shut down, I was just at home with nothing else to do. And I, I for me, it was just an opportunity to really like kind of, I mean, a little bit of reassess where I'm at, but also just kind of initiate projects that like, I had always put on the back burner or it was just, honestly, it was just about having more time at home where I couldn't do anything else. Uh, and it just got it. It just got me into the zone. And okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you, I was, I was, I was creeping your, your socials yeah. and um, all of it is good. All of it is creative, but there was something that happened in late 2019 into 2020 on your feed where yeah. your work just seemed to just transform and change and it seemed singular and hyper-focused tight and like stunning it was it was almost an overnight switch from my perceptive gaze can you explain does that make sense to what you're explaining yes unfortunately the answer i think is not that cool but i i do know what you're talking about that it is very perceptive there Um, is a very definitive so the difference was, is that up until that point, basically, <laughs> I think the time you're talking about is when I finally bought my iPad Pro. Yes. And not that that, and I do still, I mean, not as much as I like, but like do some analog drawing. But before, literally everything you've seen before then, and I don't even have a scanner at home or anything. So everything you've seen before that was drawn on paper. Okay. Taking my iPhone above it, trying to light it, okay enough so huh. that I could take a picture, airdrop it to myself, put it in Photoshop and then Illustrator, do an image trace. And I'm just wow. thinking of one, like one example of like, so like the first Liverpool house shirt that I did with like the skeleton shaking hands and whatever. Um, 
the amount of times where I would just draw that, scan it, send it in, and realize something wasn't perfect, so that I would draw a little like arm on the side, draw it, scan that in, try to erase it, add it on Photoshop, and then put it in Illustrator to wow. trace. So everything before getting the iPad took a lot longer, and it was a much more like arduous process. It was frankly really annoying and um, a little bit debilitating, like in terms of like, not that I was getting that much work at that time, but even even something uh, you know that should that nowadays would I could probably bang out in a day would be like several days of drawing, taking a picture, bringing it, in, and and it was so that's charming though. That that's one of those early day stories where the further you get away from that, you'll be like, oh, I remember those days, and it, it was a pain in the ass, but those are the best of times. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, and and for probably at least a year, I was humming and hawing about whether I needed them. And it's just like now looking back, oh, wow. it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, dude, that was my job. What am I talking about? Yeah. It's like the most useful tool I could ever have. And the fact that I even thought like, oh, do I need it? I don't know. Was It's crazy to me now to think about that. Um, but it wasn't just like a, the ease of, um, I'm going to get you to put your mic a little closer to your sure. left because you tend to favor this side. I want to sure. make sure I'm not, there you go. Perfect. Um, it wasn't just that, okay, it's easier to airdrop things or whatever, but it also, and I wish I could, you know, a lot of, there's so many brush strokes. There's so many options. I actually don't use that many when I'm on the iPad. So like there's a million things I haven't even explored, but for me, what it kind of gives you the ability to do is, you know, you draw something and then just the ability to think like, Oh, what if this was in red or right. what if, Oh, what if this part was bigger or what if this, yeah. and just being able to do that, on the iPad, it, like in front of you in real time without having to that think like to, have, to use foresight. Like it's just, you can experiment yeah. really quickly and really easily. Uh, and it leads to, it le just leads to, I mean, a different process, honestly. I don't even know if it's, if it's always better, but, and then there are actually some, some drawbacks, which I've started to notice, which if I'm trying to come up with a concept, uh, which, you know, it's very loose, drawing on paper, I would do sketches and you kind of try, you have some failures, but the evidence of your, of what you've tried and your process is kind of there on paper and you can go back and you can look at it and think like, Hmm, this, and you can kind of look at them and connect the concepts yep. with the iPad, you know, for better or for worse, you can draw something, tap two fingers and undo it and try to draw it again. But I find that a lot of the times when I'm trying to look at what I've done, there's literally, there's nothing there. It's just, there's no evidence. It's, it's exactly. Yeah. So, um, there are some drawbacks overall. It's been like an incredibly useful tool and, and one of the best purchases of my career. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, there are some things that, yeah, it, it seemed like as if you were rubbing sticks together to make a fire and suddenly had this furnace yeah. that was just yeah. going crazy. And, and I mean that respectfully, like the, it was always good, but then all of a sudden just went boom. Yeah. But what's cool is, is that, uh, there's a large body of work now that has that more slick look and what, so, so when you come across, I think there's, there's a, it was a match, a matchbook where it was like sardines. Yeah. When you start to go back to the organic hand to paper look, then yeah. that becomes really specialized and extra special. Yeah. When you kind of roll it back to more of a lo-fi, it's like, Ooh, that's really nice. So it's, it's that, it's that, that ability to have the, um, the discretion as to when to use which discipline. Yes, and that's pretty great that you can straddle both, and and to have that those arrows in your quiver, I think as an artist and a creative, that's that's a special thing to be able to kind of pivot back and forth to. 
Yeah, absolutely. Can, can we talk about the the? Um, I have a feeling this will just there's going to be no linear part of this conversation. Let's just take it as we go. Uh, staying on the the medium in what you're working with, mm-hmm. I really love the the feel and the scratch and the the sound of graphite on paper or yes. a, the the perfect marker or pen on a blank slate. Um, it's kind of like when your instrument is perfectly in tune and the room acoustics are just right or when your new knife is just yep. sharp as hell. It's just those those things. Absolutely. Can you explain well, maybe maybe this is a better way to pose it. What are the different versions is uh, versions of um, inspiration where that wellspring of excitement comes up in you when you have the tactile paper and pen versus the electronic version of it? What what are the two pr- polar polarities there for you that get you going? Because I know that they would be different. Absolutely. Um, let's let's start with the lo-fi version of it, where, the, where it, we're, we're looking at paper and and pen. Uh, okay. So, I mean, you already kind of touched on it, but there is a sound, there is a feeling there's, there's a tactile sense that you get. That's very satisfying. And like, depending on, you know, what kind of pen you're using, but it's also just like, what's your favorite pen? Um, I have this cause I've special ordered my own markers and no one's allowed to use them. I'm like, this is the one It took me 45 years to figure okay. out the one. My wife has to ask permission if she uses mine. So, go. so writing wise, I love a Muji pen just for like writing my to-do list, I that kind of thing. Yes. Um, but I have this Lamy pen, maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. L A M Y. It's kind of, uh, a calligraphy style pen it has cartridges that you refill and honestly my grandfather just bought it for me i think maybe like 12 years ago and i still have it and if i'm gonna draw something on paper that's cool that's like okay i have one sheet like don't fuck this up the snake one is that on that pen yes exactly yeah see i know your work man yeah i did my my homework honestly uh so yeah that that's the one where it's like if i have to take it cool no fuck ups allowed right i have one you know that's what i would use and it's not all it's it's everything you mentioned. It's the, the sense of it, the, you know, the sound, the feeling, but it's also just that it's, there's something very classic about it. Like it's, it's in that moment, it's not really any different than when I was a kid drawing on paper. Uh, So there's like a, there's like almost a bit of nostalgia to it. Um, and now because so many of the times, like, I mean, we can get into this too, the kind of the blessing and the curse of doing what you want for a living. It's like kind of makes, some of the pleasurable moments actually a job. Right. Um, so a lot of the times when it's like, okay, I have a deadline, I have to bang something out, like I'm going to use the iPad. But now when I'm using um, pen and and paper, like for example, I just drew my girlfriend's birthday card and it was just like, it was just a nice feeling to be on pen and paper again. And that's what like, it's it's nostalgia but it's also like when i feel like now when i'm drawing pen on paper it's more for like play or experiment um and it just kind of takes me back to that and it it feels like a no pressure version like i'm not trying to make anything perfect it's just um which is weird though because there's there's i actually did a previous episode called permanence of ink and we were were talking about like that's it man whatever you put down there yeah that's it and i think i that's also special because it's like you got one shot at this yeah so I haven't been in a situation where it actually is like, oh my God, here's the, here's your one shot. Yeah. So I actually kind of 
like I just love filling up a sketchbook. Like I think that's that's very satisfying yeah. to me. And whenever I'm in, like that's sometimes if I have time or if the concept, like if a client doesn't have a really strong idea of what they want, like sometimes it's just about like here's the idea, like execute it and whatever. And sometimes it's a little more open ended, and so that's kind of when I take it to the the pen and paper, and that's when I, you know, mess around, just like try some. You know, sillier concepts or, or something that's kind of out there. And then sometimes it kind of leads to something uh, that you wouldn't expect. So I feel like the pen and paper part has been more, has kind of shifted in its role to be more experiment, experimental and honestly, probably a sense of play more than anything. That's awesome. I, so as a chef, I do a lot of private dinners and, and we also have this project called X, which is kind of like a, a podcast platform, but we also have like a live interview. We have a musical act. We usually it's the idea is to have a musician do the interview and then do some songs and we okay. have an open bar. And cool. we kind of did this like invite only hand delivered invitation with a key speakeasy thing. But I can tell you right now, I would love to commission you to do like one-off invitations. Like, like, cause like to be able to have that's such a that's such a great thing. It's like this is a footprint from an artist. It will never be created again. Yep. It's his hands were on this paper. Yeah. That's special. Yeah. What's what's happening when you're creating and doing work? Are you for when I'm when I'm prepping food, music is music is always around me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I I must have music playing. Absolutely. Um, that's my happy place. Prepping with a knife. What's going on with Joel uh, Malkin when he's doing the work and what's happening in the space so it usually starts off with me telling myself i'm going to start at nine in the morning and it never really happens um i tried so long to like uh christoph neiman is an illustrator who i really really like and he's done a bunch of stuff for the new yorker and he has lots of videos out there and he he's like very adamant that you have to treat it as a really regular job right. it's not about inspiration and it's about like you know setting yourself down and committing from nine to five and and i've tried doing that so long for whatever reason it does not work for me so i feel like i try to kind of take care of my things i need to early in the day and at a certain point when i can't not procrastinate, but when I can't, when I just like, okay, there's nothing else to do. I sit myself down. I always have a coffee, like a a fresh coffee to start. It just feels like for whatever reason I need it. And then I put on some music and I just try to block out as much external noise distractions as I can, because I do get distracted very easily. I put the phone on do not disturb and I just try to I found it's a little more successful when I work in sessions. So when I'm really feeling it or if I have a tight deadline, I'll do like an hour, take a five minute break, do an hour, take a little break. Um, I wish I could say, I wish I had it more regimented, honestly, but it kind of just is. And like sometimes deadlines don't permit a Monday to Friday schedule. Sometimes it just, so it's kind of, <laughs> kind of happens. There are also nights where I definitely just work till 3 a.m. because when I start doing it and it feels good, right. You ride the wave that you, you just have to, yeah, you have to yeah. take the momentum and, and use it and not, and not stop because, you know, because you might try to work from 9am till one in the afternoon and, and nothing might happen. So when something happens, I feel like yep. you owe it to yourself to just roll with it uh, and take it as far as it'll go. So I, I wish <laughs> I had a really cool 
regimented schedule I could tell you about, but it's kind of just like when it happens, it happens. And then I, I try to dive in well, with everything that, I have. That's fair. There's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of noise about, um, the, what the process should look like. And, yeah. you know, the, the 5 a.m. club and the, yeah. the, you know, the Jocko Willinks. It's yeah. like, you know, start your day at 5. And there's, there's the alpha approach to, you know, crush, crush, crush. And, uh, you know, and when I've done songwriting um, workshops and stuff like that, you know, we went to Berkeley in, in Boston and did like a three-day songwriting symposium wow. thing. And their whole thing was like, you know, you, you need to start with, there, there is a functional, you know, approach skeleton outline to to do this yeah um so there's a there is a lot of merit to applying discipline to arts absolutely 100 percent. Uh, and i do believe that a ceiling above you or creating a, a box to force yourself into a creative space with limitations produces good art that being said though i think a lot of creatives like us struggle with uh, even a sense of guilt or like cheating or laziness because our process doesn't look like what perceived successful processes sure. look like. And sure. I'm still trying to find that balance between like what works for me and what, and, and knowing that what works for me, the deadline is always met. Yes. But it's my yes. way. It's my way. Yeah. And, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I feel in myself at, at, at my age, I know when I'm calling it in and when I'm being, when I'm being lazy. Yeah. And I'm learning when I know I just need to do, I need to wear the clothing that fits my body. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. So how, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming that do you, do you struggle with that as well? Like, Oh, definitely. It doesn't look like and, my peers do it. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I was the same way with essays in university and like I, I, I mean, it's not an uncommon thing, you know, to wait to the last minute to, to, you know, to finish a project. The thing that I'm kind of, that I have learned about myself um, and I'm trying to apply is knowing early in the day when it's not, when I'm not going to work. Because if something I do is, you know, if I, I kind of always have a project to do. Like at any given moment, there's always something I could work on or get ahead on. Um, so I could think about work every day and do a little bit every day. But I, what I'm trying to do is know in advance, okay, this isn't one of those days where I'm going to work and take the day off from the beginning and treat it as a rest day. Because if otherwise I just kind of beat myself up about it the entire day. And then at the very end, I'll be like, Oh, well, you know, I didn't need to get work. Like I can take the day off, right. but I'll spend the whole day kind of like torturing myself about, uh, oh, should I start? Oh, I, this is, you know, this is due this coming week. I should really do this. Uh, and it doesn't end up being all that restful if you're thinking about it the whole time or like, you know, having a little, uh, a little pity party for yourself or something. And then, but like, I mean, there's even this past weekend, I told myself when I woke up, I'm not, I'm not doing any work today. And the next day I was so refreshed and got so much work done. So I need, and I, I actually, I feel like I learned this lesson all the time and then I don't necessarily always apply it, but I'm getting a little bit better at that. Um, and like you said, just finding, finding out what works for you. And for me, it's just about knowing, like there's kind of a feeling when, I just know, like I sit down and I look at it and I'm just, 
not you know not that you're always supposed to be super enthused about doing work but there are certain times when i when i think like okay yeah. today i shouldn't work on this because it's not going to turn out the best anyway and just knowing that early enough so yeah. that you can enjoy the day for what it is and not feel guilty about it that's huge is is knowing uh, knowing when not to is just as important as when to yes um but that's that's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still. Le- I feel like I've learned it, but I still find myself doing it. So it's how, like, how old are you? Thirty one. Thirty one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just curious about where you are on the on the chain of of life. Um, I would say you're doing really well for thirty one, my man. In Thank terms you. of in terms of the scope of your in, and body of work, that's that's pretty incredible. That. It's funny because when I was I probably up until. I remember th- approaching 30 and thinking, oh my God, I, I don't have, like I kind of just started taking this seriously not that long ago. Uh, obviously like it, it, Instagram, social media, not great for comparing right. yourself to other artists who are, you know, probably younger and way more successful or at least, you know, appear to be. And le- leading up to 30, I was starting to really freak out about that if I just started too late. And once I turned 30, I actually didn't care about it at all and just thought about it more like it's working for me and um, goals that previously, like, you know, why at one point I just thought if I can ever not have to go back and like, you know, work restaurant shifts while I'm doing this, like that will be the ultimate success. And then that happened and then it kind of just ha- like it just kind of passed by without me really stopping to appreciate it but every once in a while i i do stop and think like you know what uh, last year this would have been really amazing or like if you would have told me this would happen i would be so excited dude that uh, that is a big deal and i'm not going to let you glaze over that because and i say this at nauseum on the podcast all the time anybody that i come across that is gainfully employed doing art mm-hmm. is a hero of mine is 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 a rock star because like I hate this thing. Like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm living the dream. It's such an annoying statement, but, yeah. <laughs> but in, in, in some people really are because the dream is to find a way to be fulfilled out of the wellspring of your soul's work and yeah. get paid for it. That's a big deal, man. Like right there, you've achieved what many have not. Yeah. What many refuse to uh, try to achieve. Yeah. The, 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 the people who, Follow their heart's desires versus the people who do the practical thing. Yeah. Um, there's more of them than there Not are Not that I didn't have many, many times during the process where I questioned it or of course. asked if I did the right thing. Of course. And every once, I still have moments every once in a while where, am I just going to do projects for the rest of my life? And, you know, maybe I am. Uh, but then also, by the same token, there's, there's moments where I just think, Right. It is pretty fucking cool well that, done, I'm, man. that well, I'm drawing and, that's and, huge. and it's, and it's my job. So, you know, and it, living, it goes both ways, but yeah. And you're living one of the, one of the biggest, coolest, uh, two, you're, you're, you're yeah, double aging. <laughs> some of the two of the yeah. coolest cities in the, in Canada and, 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 and doing it one second while I record, babe, I didn't pay for parking. <laughs> is there any way you can do that on your way out? I'm sorry. <laughs> my wife is not impressed right now. This is happening all in real time. Bye. I love you. <laughs> Bye. Nice to meet you too. I'll see you here. Okay. All right. This is us recording in the hotel room. This is real <laughs> life. Um, yeah. So good on you, man. That's incredible. And uh, 31, 
you know, at 45, I'm, I'm still building, I'm still creating and doing things. And, and uh, it's taken me till the last three years to get a full hyper-focused idea of what it is my wheelhouse really is like, and it, anybody well on their way at that age at 31 is that's that's huge i feel like that i mean i i don't know but i've kind of started like in line with like you know goals that i had that i achieved and didn't really think that much about i think it my feeling is that it might never be a thing where like no matter how many clients you have whatever it is like i don't know if you ever feel like i made it Mm -hmm. per se so not just to be like uh I trust the process guy but like i, I don't know I just it's true like, like you're always gonna have not just not be satisfied it's but a hound of hell thing there's something always chasing you and, yeah. and and you know what i don't know if that's the worst thing and no. i don't i don't know if i ever really want to get to the moment i'm like ah oh, i made it there's something about the of course we want to achieve but there's something about the pursuit yeah the hunt right yeah um and then there's this the, the old adage of like once once you get it now what Yes. I don't know, man. There's something about being lean and hungry and going for it that is, I don't know, it's special. Yeah. I think, I mean, I should do this a little bit more, but, you know, you taking a moment to not rest on your laurels, but appreciate something. Take it in. Without, you know, without just grind culture, got to move to the next thing right, right away. But, but um, you know, at least a moment of appreciation for yourself and, and when you accomplish something is is probably probably satisfactory enough and then yeah like and then get back to it because ultimately that's why we started doing this thing anyway i want to know more about what i've been asking this question a lot as a as an older guy it's like my old guy question (laughs) game show host thing like if i gave you a million dollars what would you what would you do with it and i i want to i want to go back to kind of imagineering with you and what you see uh, for your hopes and future but i keep I keep landing back to this one part of what it is that you do in terms of working closely with businesses. Mm-hmm. As a business owner, I own a restaurant and a little espresso bar mm-hmm. and a supper club. My wife owns a woman's shop. That's why actually why we're in Toronto. She's doing buying appointments for okay. the next season. So we're entrepreneurs, and um, I'm I'm a I'm big on good branding, okay, and good swag, like a really great sweater. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, uh, and it may seem like a, a small thing. Yes, the interior of your space as a, a restaurateur is, is very important. It's paramount. Yeah, the food, sure. the service, the whole ethos. But really, if I'm being honest, at the end of the day, the logo or the branding is maybe the most important thing because it goes ahead of you in every area. Yeah. It is emblematic of what you are and what you stand for and what you're trying to project. And it has to, it's a distillation and a quantification of everything that you are in an image. Yeah. And I think that is hyper important. Yes. So I am like, obsessive compulsive about going it's so close but it's not right yeah is that me is that us (laughs) so i gotta know like what is the process like to get inside the head and the hearts and the bellies of these entrepreneurs that are that are putting everything on the line to create 
an experience. And then they go, please help me in this process. How are you going to help me explain who we are in one image? How the hell do you, how do you do that? And how long does that take? Like, what's the process of that? That, how long does it take is an impossible question to answer. It Mm -hmm. depends on the client themselves, how much, not how much they care about it. Like, I feel if they're, if they're coming to someone, it means they care about it because, you know, anyone could pick a a typeface and put their name on it. And if they, if they didn't really care. So, um, so if they care about it and it really depends, I mean, sometimes people come to me with an idea they already have and they feel very strongly about it, but they just don't have the technical know-how to execute it and to put it, you know, not on paper, but to, to make it come to life and come to fruition. Sometimes it's a matter of trying to execute what someone already has in their mind. And when it's both, so that way it's just asking the right questions. Um, how long is I'm, the question process, the, the discovery call, the meeting, how, how long, how, 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 how deep do you go with them? One thing. So the first meeting, uh, some people like try to set it up over. Sometimes they try to get it started through email, which I'll always start it that way. But I think, a face-to-face meeting, at least Zoom, 100%. is very important. Yep. Um, just to kind of understand where they're coming from. Um, it's kind of about, it's not just like, okay, what do you want me to draw? It's kind of, what do you want? What do you want, the, what do you want to evoke with this? Like, are you trying to get someone, um, are you just, you know, crowded in a, are you in a busy place and you want to really capture someone's attention? Do you want to, um, Hmm. kind of like explain what you like, especially like what you were saying about the logo coming before everything, especially in social media and everything like that. Like oftentimes that will be the first thing you see. So it's like, do you, do you want to make a statement right off the bat? Do you want it to be a little simpler and for it to be really easy to, put on the branding and like have it transferable. You want it to work at a small size. You want it to work blown up on the sign. Like there's, there's a lot of questions that go into it. Mostly it's what do you want to evoke? What do you want to get out of this? Um, and then I always start and I never used to do this. So the process used to take a lot longer because it would be a lot of guesswork on my part, um, throwing a lot of options out and then having them maybe pick a few and narrowing it down. Uh, now I'm very adamant about, getting people to make me a mood board. Oh, I love so, that. and some people you can tell, like, haven't really done that, but I just, I basically tell them like, it doesn't have to be anything technical. You can go on Pinterest if you want and save 10 things that you really like. And you can tell me why you like them or not, or you can even tell me things you don't like things you want to avoid. It takes away some of the guesswork. It kind of hones the direction a little bit. And then it's just about asking the right questions about yeah. like what what do what are some other things they like and why what don't they like what do they want to be about do they already have a color scheme there's there's a lot of little technical questions like that that go into it I love that but ultimately it's just what do you want to get out of this what do you want people to think when they see it it's not too different than when I'm meeting with a client about what what they want for food like yeah. as a chef it's like yeah. what it's like what is your favorite meal with you and your husband yeah what's that moment. Yeah. What's your favorite part of the world? Mm-hmm. Like those, it's like, I could sit here and create a million menus, but like, give me an idea who you are. Yeah. Okay. So the mood board thing, I, I, I get that. That's, that's very good. Um, 
And isn't it funny the process of figuring out what works and what what hasn't worked, and then getting there's, I think even on on par with getting paid for what you love to do, mm-hmm. getting good at what you do in terms of how to work more efficiently, how to come to a conclusion faster, to know how to, to take up the guesswork and to go, okay, I've done this thirty times now. Now I really know. Yeah, this is what I need from you. This is how we're going to do it. There is such a, such a gratification that comes from going, oh man, I'm getting good at this. Yes. I'm, I'm figuring this out. It's not, yeah. And so like with being freelance, there's a lot of other things that I didn't really know I signed up for, um, which is, <laughs> I mean, it is exactly that. It's like setting up meetings, it's sending invoices, it's responding to all, the, all of these things that I had no idea how to do and kind of right. figure it out on the way, which ended up actually taking up a lot it's of your huge. time, uh, babysitting, so, like streamline. Yeah, exactly. Hand holding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes chasing people for payments, and, oh. but stream, streamlining the, that process is super important because the more time you spend actually drawing and working on the craft, the better it feels. The more time you spend, uh, in zoom meetings, responding to emails, like making up invoices. And I still don't have that process nailed down. I'm still working because, on yeah. pricing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, are you good? So, are you good at asking for what you're worth? I still struggle. I'm getting a lot better. I'm, I've been cooking for 20 years yeah. and uh, I'm 45 and I'm still like, oh, okay, press send. This is the, this is the invoice. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't uh, be sorry, but I'm sorry. I did that. A, I did struggle with that yeah. a lot. And I had some mentors that I had spoken to and they were like, that's what you like. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's all you charge. Like, what? and so I had a few moments like that. Um, but honestly, since being out of the service industry for good mm-hmm. and when it is truly just myself you know being self-sufficient and relying on illustration for my only income i'm <laughs> you'd be surprised how easy it makes it just to charge people what you're actually worth and then right. also um i'm luckily i'm getting to a stage i mean it's it's still you know freelance work is kind of you get busy periods and and you have slow slow periods but i i do have a lot of that's there are times when if someone isn't you know if it's not within their budget or something that i i can tell them that there there was a time where i would say yes to everything mm-hmm. or like i would say a price but probably deep down i was bluffing right and if they said i'll pay you half i would still take it because i was like right oh, someone's paying me to draw that's so cool and and you know yeah i didn't have all that much other work anyway. So um, there were definitely times where that was the case, but I'm finally getting to a spot where I have enough people coming to me where I can be selective. Uh, be, yeah. Be a little you. bit more selective. And I, I still have like, I do like this work and there's some times where maybe the budget isn't huge, but I think it's a really cool project and something I want to work on. So there are times when, um, you know, you, you can make exceptions, but overall I have been able to be a little bit more selective and, and, and when you do that also, you don't spread yourself too thin and you can yes. work really hard on the projects that, that are important. Quality, and not that, quantity. Exactly. And, then, and that's another rung of success, my man. Like that's, that's incredible. And, and I'm, I love that for you. That's so great. The, there was a gentleman who, he passed away suddenly and unfortunately, maybe two years ago, three years ago, a gentleman by the name of Scott. He had a company called Brush Boys. Okay. And he was an old school graphic design <clears throat> branding guy. He he had the the, the paintbrush technique and he yeah. was uh, he could mold and carve wood for signage. 
somehow, so Hamilton has gone through this crazy renaissance in the last 15 years where we were the laughing stock of Ontario forever. And now the talent pool is outrageous. Yeah. Um, and we were part of that movement with new, new businesses that opened up. Um, Scott from Brush Boys did the branding and signage for probably 85% of all of these great new businesses that opened wow. up in Hamilton. So Scott, as far as I'm concerned, is as much a part of the, the cool factor and aesthetic yeah. of our city. And he will be forever linked to a product, yeah. to my, uh, my signage. Yeah. What is that like knowing that you are inextricably attached to something like Joe Beef or Maddie Matheson's Seafood Palace? Or like, like you're part of that. Do you think, do you think about it that way? Cause I do, I, I, when I see your work, I go, my God, he's part of that crew. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's huge, man. It's a really good question because I mean, so I right out of school when I had no art jobs at all, Liverpool house, that was the job I got. So, which I love by the way, in a way. Yeah. yeah, I, so in a way like that's almost a little bit more how I see myself linked to like Joe beef. Um, but it is, I mean, every once in a while, my girlfriend and I were just at a concert and in Montreal, and we saw someone wearing a shirt that I made for no Baldessari in Toronto, and it was it was a very wow. it was a cool moment. It wow. wasn't like oh, one of my friends was wearing it or right. at the restaurant where it was just in the other city, wow. um, and it was and we kind of looked at each other and just thought. Like it wasn't a starstruck moment, but it was just like, okay, no, that's, that's that's pretty fucking it's a cool. Moment. Like, yeah, it's yeah. a moment, yeah, yeah. And um, there are some like, uh, I don't know. I don't think about it that often, but there are moments like that where you kind of step back and think, okay, that is that is pretty cool. But and dude, like, think about like I, the the guy that not to cut you off, but like I, I was I. I'm just as interested as the guy who designed the, the Chicago Bulls logo as I, as I am about the team themselves. Like, yeah, like that that dude. He did that? Yeah. Oh, you did, you know, the Bruins sign? Like, yeah. there are people behind these iconic images. Yeah. And that's not a small thing. Yeah. What is Starbucks without that label? Absolutely. Come uh, on. Like, that's, that's, I, I, I'm like your hype man right now. <laughs> but that, that's, that's so cool, man. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it is definitely one of those things where sometimes I just feel like I get caught up in like, have to finish this thing, have to finish right. this thing. And sure. I don't exactly take the time to, to look back and, and to think about it, but if you need I'm, help with that, just call me and I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a perspective on it. Yeah. How, I appreciate how, that. How do these guys, so like your, your, your roster of clientele is impressive as coming at it from a hospitality chef purview. I look at these, these designs you've done. I'm like, Holy shit. He's the, he, he did that. He did them. He's working with these guys. Like that's freaking wild. How is this kid? doing all this so how like you know i know that momentum is a big thing but how how are these guys getting in touch with you how is this happening so i would probably have to credit for the starting uh the start off point would be dave mcmillan um for those who don't know co-founder uh former owner of joe beef liverpool house van pepino all those places um he was always kind of in and out of the restaurants when i started working there He's a very loud, boisterous, like he's just magnanimous. He he has yeah. a real a real personality and, and I just and I was always kind word. of like not shy, but I you know, I was like, that's the guy who who runs all of this. And I was a recently graduated art student who was working in a restaurant, like kind of a classic 
uh, Montreal Tale. And I knew, I, I just got kind of lucky, the fact that I worked there. So my brother was sous chef there for a while. And after graduating, he called me in a panic one time and he just said like, hey, can you come like wash dishes? We'll pay you cash and, you know, whatever. So I went there and then they said, do you want to be a busboy here? And I, and I did that. So I kind of unknowingly lucked into the restaurant that I, Very cool. it was kind of an arbitrary, like, okay, where am I, what am I going to do after graduating? I had no contracts to speak of. And, and one time I just kind of went up to him and I was like, you know, I, when Van Malapin was opening, I drew a rabbit. That, that was you? That they not, so I didn't do their logo, but there's a drawing it's hanging in the restaurant. And, um, uh, it's the so, one that the ink, the ink one, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same pen. Um, yeah, exactly. Same pen. Snake, and snake. pen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so one time I was just, so he knew that I was like, you know, I would throw my name out there like, Oh, what if, you know, if you need something, let me know. And I just, I'll never forget. I was at liver plus I was working and, and he was, he had the front door open. He was smoking a cigarette like half in the restaurant, half out, like kind of like, he didn't really give a fuck, honestly. I think he was blowing his smoke in the restaurant, like whatever. And, uh, and he's like, let's do a shirt. And I, and I immediately, I was like, yeah, totally. Like, what do you want to do? Let's, let's do it. And I thought it was going to be something. The first, the original Joe Beef shirt is like some oysters and it says Joe Beef and it has the phone number and it's like pretty tame, I guess mm-hmm. you'd say. And I was like, yeah, what do you, like, what should we do? And he was, and he just said, how about like two skeletons and they're on London bridge and it's on fire and you know, I don't know, like work an Illuminati triangle in there somehow. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, I, I was just like, what? I, I had no idea. I was like, but of course I just said, yeah, for sure. That, you know, that sounds great. Yeah, I get that. I get and, what you're saying. And, uh, and I went home and I was just like, I don't know where the fuck to start. And I just, I started, I, it ended up being one of, and also, I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, not a turning point. It was, it was, it was a big moment. It was like the first shirt that I made that got, you know, printed and, and that people bought and, and, and whatever, but like it ended up being one of my favorite designs and, it was so cool. And like working with Dave, I did a few more things with him and they were always so bizarre. And like what I liked about them, when you have the gravitas of a Joe Beef or you don't, you don't have to really be like, okay, this is our name. This is our phone number. Here's our logo. You yeah. can, at that point, you can, you can kind of just it. do whatever you want. Yeah. And you can just be like, and that's kind of how I try to, like when I, if I make, if I'm not doing a logo for someone, if I'm just doing like, you know, a round of merch or something like that like something I like to ask them or like what I want to accomplish is like, you know, if someone found this shirt in a thrift store in 20 years and they had no idea what your business was, like, would they still think this is really cool and right. they want to wear it? Right. And I feel like that's what a lot of his ideas like pass that test. And that, that's yeah. one of the things where it's like, if you saw that, it says like, I think on the back, it says like palm reading by Joel Malk. And he's like, yeah, throw your name on there, whatever. And like, if someone looked at it, they would not think it's a restaurant. I don't know what they would think it is. Um, like a tarot card reading place. But, I don't know, but, but it just like, it's, so that was the first one that was big. He had a lot of like social media clout, whatever. So he posted it. And then a few other restaurants would reach out to me and it kind of, that was, I probably the beginning point. That was the, the starting off point was, was that shirt. And it kind of just went from there. And like I said, I was lucky that the first 
one I did was for Liverpool House and Joe Beef. So that's very cool. It was like it was like you know not a bad way to start out, um, and it kind of has just gone from there. And a lot of word of mouth and and it's just you're 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 tied into you're part of the story. You're part of the conversation of a, of a of a time in Canadian Canadian cuisine and Canadian culture that is very cool. Like you're part of that. Uh, so like when I, when I do a run of shirts, like this is a hoodie for St. James, like yeah. um, I have what I, I have the articles of clothing that I'll wear. Yeah. And then I want to keep some yeah. safe and yeah. even like put them in a shadow box because for me, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a pack rat, but I'm highly sentimental. Yeah. So like my grandfather's business exploits and his businesses, I have his business cards. Like I want pieces of my history to be set aside and safe. I want my kids to know these were dad's things. I want them behind glass because these are like moments. Like I, I framed my uh, blueprints, my, my floor design blueprints from my rest, first restaurant. I'm like, that's, that's a moment. Yeah. Do you, are you precious about the things that you do? Like, do you have things set aside that you've kept for a run of merch or do you, do you collect your own stuff for, for the sake of history and work? It's funny when you were saying that I, in the middle of you saying that, I just thought, like, fuck, I should do a better yeah, you job should. of that. Um, Are you just really pragmatic and just like, yeah, I did it? Uh, <laughs> I The first, so I definitely, for, like, those Liverpool S ones, I think they only made 200 of them. And Damn. for some reason, that's still... Do you have any? Yeah, I have two, oh. but they're but I've worn both of them, and they're, okay. like, they're, like, not ratty, but they're, they're, they're getting there. Like, I should stop wearing it Dude, soon, probably. frame one. Yeah. So, they... I'll buy the other one. That, <laughs> that one, people still ask me, like, are they ever going to print it again? And I don't know. I think it would be cool. It's yeah. also, there's something would be cool, the scarcity if they, if yeah. they didn't. Yeah. Um, either way, you know, I'm cool with it. I, when I first started getting, like, I remember, like, so I've done a lot of, like, beer cans for, like, you know, Willibald uh, yes. like here in, in Toronto, or Ontario, I should say, and, and a few other places. And I remember when I would start doing... Like when I, f the first few beer cans I designed, the first few shirts, I would get them and I would fold them and I was like, I'm never going to wear them kind of thing. And then like, as they started to pile up, I eventually just kind of was like, ah, whatever. Like, which I probably, there's some that I probably really shouldn't have been so careless with, but I'd like, if someone ever asked, I would just like give it to them. Cause like usually when a round comes out, like the restaurant or the place will like give me like four or five. And so I kind of just give them out and I mean I'll always have like the the digital version to to show cool. people but but you're right I mean I I should be a little bit more precious the Liverpool one I'm definitely not gonna throw out it, it will end up probably being pretty ratty um but I guess the the novelty of like oh my god I made this has a little bit worn off and you know sometimes people remind me and this reminds me that you know, it is pretty cool and, it and, is. I, and I should keep them, but, uh, um, at least one, maybe, maybe the first, if it started with the Liverpool house, maybe that's the one you, yeah. you keep and you frame it or something. Yeah. 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 For sure. I'm telling you so. how to live your life right now. No, you gotta <laughs> do it this way. Hey, you know, I have a question Like we, we've done, we've done a run of, of merch some of it cooler than others, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it did. Okay. I, what do you think the, the trick to having merch move and have people want to be a part of it? What, what, what's, What's the trick? Um, so I think like kind of the, the eye test that I mentioned before, like it's, 
I don't know. It's, it's weird because if, if a restaurant, like let's say a restaurant comes to me and they're just starting out and they're just trying to think of like brand awareness. And um, I think you have to think of merch as like not necessarily a money-making venture right, right. as much as it is an advertisement. And, sure. and like, and like you have to almost like think, okay, I'm not going to make the money back, but this is a way to, to get people in. So like if, do you want to make merch that's like for like what I was saying about the, the Liverpool one, like at that point they didn't need any publicity. They're just like, let's just make this like right, but were they, super rad shirt. Were they selling it at the bar? Like it's, it's like, we don't need merch to sell. We, we, we have a very good business, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I would say that in terms of headcount per day, we probably are on, on par with like Joe beef, not in yeah. scope, not in like execution, but like people coming in. Right. Yeah. But like, I feel like when they did, when they do a run of shirts, they're going to sell out. What's the difference? And, that, a, and I mean that really humbly. I'm like, what's the difference between yeah, St. James yeah, and Joe beef? There's yeah. a big difference, but I'm just saying like, what is it that's making the people go, I'm, I'm buying that. There's part, part of it is like, I hate to say it, but if there's like a hype beastie at, you know, um, angle to like, if, if, if it's, like also Joe Beef and their their destination restaurants. So when people right. go, like, especially like for example Grand Prix weekend uh, in Montreal, like a lot of people go there and and they just want to take home a souvenir from right. it. And they do they they uh, they kind of hang at the front of the restaurant. Okay. Like they're not really like. There's also waiting areas, I guess, in restaurants versus what we do because you just walk in and you're in. Literally, that's the, the waiting area. Right. You're just kind of forced to look it's at all the shirts. And some people come gotcha. out and they're just, and they're when they're waiting for the, if they add like leftovers or something, they wait there. And a lot of the times that's when people are like, oh, like I'll take one of these. A cool design so That's part of it. Um, I'm like, I'm not a very, I wouldn't say savvy social media person. Um, I think that honestly, it depends a lot on what your goal is. Like you could, you could do this thing where you really don't make that many of them. You make, right. I don't know, maybe you make 50 of them Hyper and then you imme- immediately like you post them. And then a little bit later you go, there's 10 left and <laughs> then, and then you sell out and then it seems cool, but you didn't sell that many. But then the next time, maybe people will be a little quicker to, it really depends on what the goal is. I think. I don't know why the- it's bothering me so much right now, because like, like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I want them to like it like I like it. But I mean, it, it's just one of those things. We also haven't gotten really behind it too much. But anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm on a completely weird tangent right now. Anyway, sorry. No, about no. That. I mean, there, there, I think it, it really depends on like what what the goal of the merch is. If you if you just want it to be, I think like the long game is just having something really cool that isn't necessarily too like, here's our logo. Here's where you yeah. can find us, everything. And that's, and then the people just thinking like, that shirt is so cool. Like, where is it? I and would, like that yeah. brings them back to it, but maybe not as in your face about it or I would direct. say, I would say that there's certain items that are more emblematic of what you are. I would say that this, the black St. James hoodie and the black hat with the yellow bone font St. James. Yeah. That's probably the only thing we ever really need to do. And we shouldn't deviate from that. That's kind of like our ethos and aesthetic. So I'm kind of answering my own question as I'm talking to you, but I wanted to hear from you from that perspective because you're the person behind the, the product itself. So I wanted to hear your take on that. That's I mean, I guess my only answer would just be make it really good. I mean, that's, that's, that's like, true. Yeah. That's like, um, I don't know there. And sometimes like, not to say I always have the same, degree like sometimes i have a lot of input into the design and it's really a back and forth 
sometimes people have a really specific idea and I'll always kind of start with, okay, like, you know, we can do this. I think we should do this. And then sometimes they're just like, no, like I want to do this. And it's just me executing it. And, and I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. Like that's, that's what the job is a lot of the time. But sometimes I'll be like, you know what? I think it would have been cooler if we did my original idea, but, but that's also just me. Like, I don't know, an ego thing or, or whatever. But sometimes I just think like, you know what they, you know, the client is really happy with it. So I can't, Right. What am I going to say? Yeah. But sometimes I think like, I think we should have done the other one right. or we should have done this color or whatever it is. So there are times when I'm like, you know, it could have been, it could have been cooler or like, I wouldn't wear this. I would wear it if it, if we did this. So I don't know. I guess it's also just like knowing your clientele and what kind of things uh, they would wear. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot that goes into there's it. So many, there's so many yeah. nuanced parameters on that. Uh, what are you listening? What are you listening to right now when you're doing work and the music is going on in the background that's inspiring you? Or, or do you go for like calm, mindless sounds? Or it's just it's just part of the environment? Or do you have like specific things to get you in a headspace? How do you how do you approach the music? Because to me, that's a that's actually a really big thing. Music is a huge part of my life, and it's part of my um, ch- chilling out and aiding me in my process of work. What yeah. do you, how much, how much stock do you put into what you're listening to? Um, it's super important. I always, I always have music on it. It depends on, okay. So there are parts in the process where I'm rereading a bunch of the emails. I'm putting together a mood board. I'm like trying to come up with an idea at that point. It'll be more, um, uh, Maybe not necessarily instrumental, but there'll be a lot less going on that will fill my head with anything. Um, Just kind of like, I mean, my go-to would be just like some Jay Dilla instrumentals, like just like kind of something that keeps me bopping along and focused, but like isn't going to distract me too much. Um, There are points in, like, let's say you already have the idea and now the only thing left to do is to execute it and... Maybe it's a drawing where, you know, there's a bunch of little things like, for example, like, you know, the scales on the snake or something where it's like, I'm going to do a million of them and my brain doesn't even really need to be on. Like, it's just about like kind of mindlessly drawing all these things Then I can kind of listen to whatever. But like, I'm, I'm a big old, like, I love 90s hip hop. I love Wu-Tang. I love some newer stuff. I don't know. Griselda. I... I love like kind of aggressive rap and then that's, that's what I would listen to when I'm like, kind of just like something to keep me awake also, because yeah. if I'm doing one of like, if I'm in one of those monotonous, like, okay, like draw a billion of these little things. Like sometimes I need to be a little bit stimulated. So it depends on if I'm like, you know, trying to keep myself awake and energized or if I'm trying to focus on something, you know, that's when I go instrumental or something a little more easy listening. I've talked to a lot of, tattoo artists mm-hmm. in the process of this podcast. And you remind me a lot of them in terms of how they take the work home with them and, and how they keep themselves inspired and, and fed uh, yeah. spiritually and mentally to get the job done. Yeah. Um, what's more, what's, what's the most important part of the project? And I know it's not really a fair question, but is it, is it the beginning? Is it the middle when you're muscling through or is it, the finalization going, okay, I need to step away from it. Now it's done. 
Or are they all the same? No, you can't. There's, I don't think you can ever say it's, oh, it's the beginning, it's the middle, it's the end. It's, there's, I think every project has a moment where you realize like, okay, this is like either maybe not like this is it, this is finished, but there's just, I think every project has an aha moment where you just think like, okay, now I get it. Now I get what Mm. the direction this is going or I get what it's about or now it's just a matter of like tweaking this, but like, I know what that's it a is. special so, moment. So that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, and like, sometimes, you know, I don't know, sometimes very early on you kind of just like get it and it's just about, okay, how do I put this down and how do I like make this come to life? And sometimes it takes a lot more, uh, legwork beforehand, like doing a lot of sketches, doing a lot of like renditions a lot of iterations and just like going through it and sometimes it happens a little bit later in the process but there's always i don't think you can say when it is but when you have that moment of like okay i get it that's that's the key moment right on taking a complete sidestep here you mentioned that you're kind of in between cities right now you you spend time you basically split between toronto and montreal yeah. um, another unfair maybe impossible question but what are the differences between Toronto and Montreal? If, if you were to describe them as a person or a, mm. a car or a <laughs> meal, I don't know. How, how would you quantify the two civilizations of Montreal and, and Toronto? Um, so first of all, I don't know why. I think some people born in Montreal, like sometimes I feel like there's a natural rivalry between the two cities that I've never really understood. I, it could be because I'm not born in Montreal I moved there when I was 20 or something and I really like both cities and not just have a cop-out answer but Montreal was like my formative years it's where I went to art school where I met so many of of my lifelong friends it's where I worked in the restaurant that like got me all the jobs it's where um everything kind of really started work-wise and then like the people who first hired me and everything when I took my little Six month, 2021, when I talked about when I helped my friends with, with Dreyfus and Bernhardt's, I came to Toronto and I stayed here for about six months. And I loved it. Like, I, I was kind of expecting to, I don't know what idea I had of, of Toronto before coming, but I thought maybe just kind of like finance bros. I don't know. I don't know where I got it. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know where. Maybe that was like some Montreal haters that like, you know, one big wall that. street, but like, but just like, I just, I just thought like it might be a kind of a colder city and, right. and, um, but I actually really liked it. I find it's a very hardworking city. Like all of my friends here. Yeah, it feel is like that everyone works really hard and that's they a good two that's, jobs. That's a really they, good uh, perspective. That's true. And it, it kind of excited me when I first moved here, honestly, because I was like, I was helping my friends. I, I worked some shifts at Dreyfus and Bernhardt's and everything, but um, and not, not to like, you know, promote, not saying that everyone needs to work all the time and whatever. I'm not saying that's, that's healthy or whatever, but it was kind of energizing and exciting. And it could have also just been the fact that I was in Montreal for nine years at the time and just being in a new city, maybe any new city would have made me feel like that, but it, it was really energizing. And I, and I, met so many people and and i was lucky zach and carm were from 
Montreal, and that's where I met them at Liverpool House. So when I when I came here, they introduced me to a lot of people right away that also were in the restaurant scene, and that's it. Kind of helped me parlay that into even more work in Toronto. And when I went back to Montreal, I was actually so the downside of Toronto. I was I started to look for apartments in Toronto before going back to Montreal, and it was just such an unbelievable pain in the ass, and it was expensive. But also, even when I found a place that I liked and was like affordable, um, if I told like the landlord or whoever that I was freelance, they would just be like, okay, oh, right. yeah. Peace. They're just like, yeah. Yep. Well, we have like 30 other people who want this who have a steady paycheck. So, you know, so that part was not super welcoming. Um, but overall, I, I love the city. And I did think like, you know, I could definitely move back here and now you know, not officially, but, but I'm still loving it. I'm still finding new opportunities. And, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't want to compare them in like a, which is better kind well, of it's way. Tough. It's just, I, I really love both. And when I go back to Montreal, I, I still love it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, it's kind of a cop out answer, but I really love them both. And there's, there's a lot of things that I, that I really like about both. So. I mean, it's, it's an apples and oranges thing. You know, Montreal is very bohemian and, and New York or Toronto is very New York. Like that's got a brawn about it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like uh, sometimes in the summer in Montreal, I'll just walk by like Parc Jean Mans on like, like a Wednesday afternoon. And I just sometimes think like, is anyone at work in this? <laughs> like there's a, like Montreal summer. I mean, very European. Toronto summer is great also but like montreal summer there's something really special yeah. where it's like you know Montreal's a little colder so the winters are a little more brutal there's something that happens on that first really it. nice yeah. day yeah. in summer in montreal where all of a sudden like every beautiful person in the world you feel like is just walking in like the plateau in montreal and yeah it's, it's just like there's there's something there's an energy to it that's that's really nice and that only um, only a city dweller would would know the difference between the seasons like Toronto in the summertime when I was here for three years it is a summer city yeah it's like it it flexes all of its muscles yeah at yeah. summertime yes. yeah it's crazy um how are you doing for time brother we're at about an hour ten we're we're getting we're getting there yeah I'm good um oh Julieta is calling me from my reservation. I have to take this. <laughs> Let's do this, guys. Hello? Hi, David. It's Amanda calling from Julieta. How are you? I'm good, Amanda. How, how are you? What's going on? Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Just going to confirm the reservation for you tonight. Yeah. We will be there. We can't wait. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And just a funny reminder, we just still have those seats rebooked at 9 o'clock, as it is a two-hour dining time. Okay. Sounds good. All right. We'll okay. see you tonight. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, quick. They're quick. kicking you out already. Yeah, I know. I haven't even gotten there. <laughs> Uh, I, I was had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Chef Rob Rossi from Julietta. He he was one of the one of the historically one of the first years of uh, I'm, I'm I'm wording this wrong. He was part of the, the Michelin Star Guide for the first time this year in Canada. Right. So they won one star, and so did their bar program. And uh, he is absolute sweetheart, and his hospitality was like crazy. And I reached out to him last night. I was like what are the odds that I can get in at Juliet? He goes, I'm going to make it happen. Wow. And, and that's amazing. I've heard really good things. I still he, yeah, been, he I did would, not have to do that. He, yeah. his hospitality and willingness toward me was almost unnerving. I'm like, why are you being so kind to me? 
And he called me back an hour and a half later. He's like, you're in 7 p.m. Wow. I was like, wow. That's prime time. Yeah. So. And, and so like, I've never been to a Michelin starred restaurant, first of all. Secondly, you know, I know the chef and he was willing to help me out here. So that's, that's very cool. One of the, one of the cool perks of the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is actually a really great segue because I was going to ask before the call came through is um, who have you not worked with? Uh, and this isn't strictly to restaurant world, but what brand or company or operation would you love to be a part of and help design some stuff for? I have a few bucket list things that I don't think necessarily would be like, um, like I don't think I would necessarily like, you know, break the bank with them or anything, but just from a creative standpoint, a few things I would really love to do. Um, like I would love to design a Metallica shirt. Yeah. I just think they're just the coolest. Yeah. They're the coolest. Um, I've loved them. Like I was like, especially grades seven through 10 ish. I was so obsessed and I still love them. I still listen to the first four albums a lot. Uh, master puppets for okay. sure All right. uh and then so i've just always loved their shirts the just it's just kind of classic like cool skulls yep. and whatever which is not normally the kind of thing i do but it would just be just from like a fan uh perspective i would love to do that i would lo- i don't know why this appeals to me uh but like doing an insole on a on like i don't know a van shoe or just just something right on um like that and then i'm also a diehard chargers fan so anything that i could do just to like i and it was like a dream of mine for a long time to to play in the nfl as like you know a lot of kids and i wanted to play for the chargers so you know if i could just design some merch for them or do something to feel like cool at least a part of the team in some way i think that would be really cool um yeah, I don't you, know. You need I to send, like, would you ever just send Metallica stuff and go, I made this for you? Okay, so it's kind of a funny story. They played in Montreal on Sunday. Yeah, I thought they, so. And they ate at Liverpool House. No. And they were super cool, apparently. And they bought it out the restaurant, and they gave every single person in their VIP tickets. Um, and I was like the most I'm, I don't usually get FOMO I, I, but I but I was like seriously jealous Oof. and I had just like the last shift I worked at Liverpool's house was I don't know maybe like three or four months ago or something That's painful. and I would come in once in the, you know and that to me like when I worked there we served Obama we served Julia Louis-Dreyfus we had like all like people that I was like okay but Metallica is the one that I'm like wow. okay the kid in me was right. super jealous so they got they all got VIP tickets and I just messaged like all my Liverpool friends and I said like hey you know if anyone doesn't want to go like I would love to and so um Eleni my good friend she's she figured it out she messaged the manager and she sent me one and that it was the day of I got on the only train left that was going to make it in time You went I got on the train <laughs> And as soon as the train left, it stopped for an hour and a half on the tracks and got delayed. And I just watched the ETA slowly get pushed back after the concert ended. And it was oh my God. fucking heartbreaking. Oh my to God. be honest, it was very easy come, easy go. Uh, but it was still like the pictures they sent me, they're <laughs> right in front of James Hetfield. Oh. They're like right there. And so that was a bucket list band. And so that was heartbreaking. Wow. The only silver lining. So I got off the train at the next stop and went back to Toronto. But I looked back through the email and I saw that their tour manager, it was forwarded from them. So I emailed him 
I attached my portfolio and said I've always wanted to do this. So he said he's going to send it to a merch guy at Metallica. Really? But the... Amazing. Yeah, so the Dude. only thing is, like, I didn't have time to actually, like, whip up something that was in line. So I based... My portfolio doesn't exactly match what they do. So if I had more time, I would have, you know, come up with something a little more in line with uh, with their brand. But... You know, if at least someone's gonna get eyes on it, and that's, so there's there's a chance. And that's then cool. with the Chargers, I found their. So this is a lot of how I get a lot of the jobs that that don't come to me. Um, I found their art director on Instagram. We followed a few like mutual people, and I would just DM him the same thing like every, uh, like I don't know, once every like couple weeks or something. He would never see it. Uh, he has like quite a few thousand followers and I would, D I would DM it, unsend it, DM it again, like the next month kind of thing. And it never worked until eventually one time I, I DM'd him and then I commented on his thing. Like I did one of the classic, like, Hey, check your DMS, which I felt so lame about, but <laughs> he know. did. And then he, he read it and he was like, Oh, I like your stuff. You know, if we can, so that's how I you do try it, to find my way to weasel into these situations. That's, that's how you're here. I and just DM. Yeah, you. yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, good, they're good not like, these aren't far fetched. Uh, they're not, they're, they're definitely attainable. Um, biggest thing I've learned, man, is, is the, the perceived doorkeepers and, and, uh, barriers of entry. They, they do exist, but they're not impossible to, to, to cut. Yeah. Through. Yeah. And sometimes it's just about like swallowing your pride and, whatever i dm this guy probably like 20 times but at, in the end and i still haven't sent the chargers thing i'm still like kind of working on because i feel like in you know in these cases a lot of the times you just kind of get one opportunity to kind of show right. what you can do so i'm i'm kind of honing a little package that that i want to send but but a lot of the a lot of jobs have happened through that through saying you know starting on like not that I don't want to promote um, working for free and for exposure and that kind of thing, but it is something that I did very early on, and and to be honest, it did it did help and for it sure. gave me some of those opportunities. So, quick quick Metallica story: the, okay. the, the year was uh, 1996. We waited um, that same year. I think we waited 12 hours for Ozzy Osbourne's Oh my God Osmosis album for at Doctor Disc. We, yeah, we got the first pressing. And then uh, 96, Load came out, mm -hmm. and uh, they played Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, and we were outside uh, before doors opened, having a cigarette, and this guy comes up to us. He's like, are you guys big fans? We're like, yeah, man. He's like, um, I'm their web, their web master. Uh, you know, like the internet? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we've just started a fan page. Uh, and this was like when that was like cutting edge. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh shit, they've got a, they've got a web page. Yeah. Um, I have a deal for you. A proposition. If, if you guys hand out their web page flyers during yeah. the opening act, which was corrosion and conformity, uh, we'll get you backstage. No way. We're like, yep. <laughs> so we stood in the, in the, the main stairwell escalator lobby and we handed out Metallica stuff. Yeah. And true to his word, he gave us a press kit. No way. I still have the, um, the, uh, no way. the lanyard. Oh my God. And we went backstage and we happened to have a demo tape and we had the whole Wayne's world experience. <laughs> and so, uh, Jason, uh, came to meet everybody backstage 
And I'm like, I said to my, my partner at the time, I'm like, Dave, we have to give Jason the demo tape because if it's, if Jason comes in and no one else is with him, that means that's it. No yeah. one else is coming. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 we got to give it to Lars. I'm like, Lars is not coming. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I was right. He was wrong. We ended up giving it to the opening back act, but he signed my cup and he wrote, metallic up i still have like and so like it was and, and there was like they pulled a prank on the on the on the venue like they made it looked like there was an explosion and somebody fell off the riser when fell on flames it was it was the most have you seen metallica live i still have not dude I've- it was the most visceral i felt like i got my ass kicked i felt like i got a, i walked out of the building where i had gotten in a fight it, it was it was so like my friend who went he was like because i asked him like it was almost and he, he wasn't trying to be a dick, but yeah. I was like, just tell me like what? And he was just like, it was the best. It yeah. was fucking awesome. Yeah. And we, I have no voice left and yeah. we are right in the, they call it the snake pit. And he's like, we were there the entire, and he's like, he's like, I'm not trying to rub it in, but no, it yeah, was, yeah. it was awesome. There's nothing so, else to say that, that, yeah. that, that that's, yeah. and I, I, I keep threatening my wife. I'm like, listen, just so you know, you're married to me. Like when Metallica comes, you're coming to see Metallica. Yeah. It's like, okay, I will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting, I mean, they're, getting up there so like i don't know how many yeah. tours left there are so yeah uh the next time they're anywhere near amazing I'm, I'm gonna go absolutely promise me that if you end up getting a gig with metallica in any capacity you let me know absolutely that's incredible as we wind down i want to i want to rewind to the beginning of the uh actually before we press record on the um yeah the interview here you had we were talking about the age-old uh conundrum and and tormenting mindset of, of when am when am i an artist and 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 I had referred to you as an artist. I think maybe I even introduced yeah. you as an artist. That's what it was. And yeah. uh, you kind of squirmed a little bit about that, yeah. uh, which I understand. Um, where, why is there conflict in terms of perceiving yourself or explaining yourself as an artist? Because if you were to ask me, I would say you most definitely are an artist. What, what are the, where are the parameters in your mind for that whole thing? Uh, I've thought about this so much and I still don't really have a clear answer. Um, I guess, I mean, part of it, I saying I'm an artist, it feels a little pretentious, even though whatever, if someone else told me, I wouldn't think that. But when I say it, for some reason, I feel like, why is that? I, I don't know. I, something about, well, okay. So for illustration, it sounds if I want to sound very hireable, I'll like t- lean towards graphic design illustration. Sure, like if I, I know that. if I know someone is looking for a logo, you know, I'm a graphic designer. If someone, you know, wants merch or a t-shirt, I'd say then it's like illustration, graphic design. If someone wants packaging done, I would say graphic design. You don't always know. So I think, I don't know. For example, I think my bio on my website says illustrator slash graphic design or something like that so i try to keep it open-ended it's weird i studied studio art at concordia i did printmaking i took drawing classes i took painting classes at the u of s um and i would say like it's like i would say maybe i'm artistic but not an artist because i think for me being an artist entails like a certain level of self-expression or it's like you're trying to answer maybe a burning question that you don't really know the answer to but you have to keep you know 
doing what you do to, to figure it out or to get closer to the answer or, or even if it's not that, if it's really just like, I don't know, like I said, self-expression. And I, and I feel like a lot of the times, and, and I wish I did have more time to just draw for the sake of drawing and, you know, draw what I want to. Um, but no matter how, what it looks like visually, um, like if I'm drawing something, if it's because someone asked me to draw it or wants me to draw it for this thing, I think that in itself kind of takes away like Lessons the artistic it. merit, not like, and I'm not saying that as a negative, like I yeah. don't, if, if, um, like I'm not being self deprecating by saying I'm not an artist. I don't, I don't, sometimes when I say that people are like, no, no, you are, I get it. it's fine. But I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it as a negative. It's just, if it's I true. think inherently if, if someone's like, Hey, can you draw this right. for me? I kind of want it to look like this. Um, so if it's transactional in some ways, it, it feels less like art, more like, yeah. And I've actually run into a few things. Like this is something I don't really do anymore where people have been like, Oh, can you like, <sighs> I don't know how to explain it. Like if someone just wants to commission me, or like a drawing, just like, can you draw something cool that I can hang up? I feel really weird about that. And I've done it a few times and I've never really ended up super happy with the result because I feel like it's either, either I just did something that I wanted to do and maybe it really resonates. And then you're like, I, you know, I, I want this, I need this. And then that's, I feel like is I made some art and, and you want to buy it, but like, it's like, Oh, can you draw like, I don't know, like an example can you draw, you know, this animal, maybe like kind of doing this. I just, you know, I like your style. I want it to be that like, to me, that's illustration, but it's, it's a weird enough gray area where it's like, like, I wouldn't expect anyone to like have notes about it. Like, Oh, well actually, could you make it more like this? Cause then that's definitely not art. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've done like, I've done a few things where it just felt a little bit like, not selling my soul, but just like, if you want just like a drawing of mine, right? I don't think there should be any input about what you want it to be. No, unless, it, unless it is like, it's not collaborative. You, 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 you want me to be yeah, an artist, but at the same time, it's also not that different. If someone was like, I want you to draw this and it's going to go on a mirror can. But for some reason I've like, it's a lot easier it. for me to mentally I place that and just think yep. like, okay, like the point is to make this an, a visually appealing thing. So that maybe someone else, wants to buy this but i i don't know i find there's there's a weird gray area which i don't fully understand about when it's art and when it's not i would say it's artistic but maybe not art i'm curious i'm curious to ask you that same question in 10 years from now and see what you say yeah yeah i don't know which is fair i i I love that you don't have an answer for that and there's nothing wrong with that that's as much of a real answer as as a definitive answer. Like you're, yeah. you're in the process of figuring it out, that out, which I respect. Uh, do you still pursue your own art for the sake of art that no one sees? Or are you so busy with commissions and, and deadlines that that's right now it's work all hands on deck right now at this very moment, it is absolutely all hands on deck, but I, I have moments, I have moments and like, I have things even like written down in my sketchbook. It's, it's kind of sad. It's like, okay, when I have some time, like, this is something I want to try out. Um, it's like, it's, it's kind of like a never ending to do list though, where I always think like, okay, like when I catch up on all these projects, like, you know, I'm going to revamp my website. I'm going to do this. and I'm going to do this. And then it kind of just never happens. So I, I'm going to try to become a little bit more adamant about setting aside 
dedicated time for that. But sometimes when I know I have a deadline, it's just, it's so hard to work on something that's like, you know, quote unquote for nothing, um, which I know I would actually get something from it and probably bring some of the, the, the joy that, you know, the reason I started drawing, uh, it would probably bring back some of that feeling, um, but yeah, I don't well, know. Well, I mean, you're you're still you're you're still working for your supper right now. Like you're still you're still building. Yeah. You know your your life and your portfolio. Like you know, coming from an older guy, you know, there's time for all that. But yeah, and, and, and I'm giving you unsolicited, not advice, but perspective on it. But like, all that will most definitely come. You're just so busy with building your bones right now. Like yeah. I get it. You yeah. know, and uh, 31, 31 feels like a full blown adult, which it is. But at 45, 31 starts to seem different. Yeah. And, and you realize like, oh my, you're, you're still at the outset of like building, building. Uh, and know. to that point, I, I don't know how this makes sense, but there, but momentum is absolutely a real thing. Yeah. And Ride the wave. I feel like if I just like kind of stop and like really don't do it, for, like for whatever reason, when I'm the most busy, and have the most project is when I get the most inquiries and the, when yep. the most people reach out to me. Yep. Uh, so good for you by that. Like, so sometimes it's just like, and kind of earlier when I talked about the mindset of like very early on, just not saying no to anything. I do say no to some things, but I'm still very much in the stage of like, you know, I think, and sometimes it's not even like, Oh, is this person going to pay me enough or whatever? It's just like, is this an opportunity to do something Will this look cool in my portfolio? Is this something I haven't done that like shows off a new like strength or or shows off like you know somewhere else that my that work could be placed? So sometimes it's not saying no just because I think this is an opportunity that will lead to something else really cool. Sometimes you know sometimes you take on a less exciting project because it pays better. But um, I'm still very much in the mode of taking on as much work as as I possibly can. As you should. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, and, and there's just as much merit as taking something that is a, an investment that may not pay you well, because you know, deep down in your gut, even if it's five years from now, yeah, something's going to come of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, two final questions, but before those two happen, yeah, <laughs> let's do a, <laughs> uh, another, a, a last one of this part of the, of the interview. Uh, would you ever consider doing a gallery of your, of your work? I don't think so. No. Um, I don't think so. That kind of ties into. I feel like whenever I go to a gallery show or, and there's some artist that I've gone to, like, um, I don't know if you know Dan Kleiman, but he kind of did a lot of the restaurant merch, kind of like maybe a little bit before I did, and he still does some of it. Super talented, but he's also a painter and. He's like really blown up for that. Uh, Did he do anything from Crown, with Crown Salt or Le Bremner or uh, Garbanger? It's possible. He he made probably one of the coolest. The Elena shirt that he made. Oh, with that's the leopard him? on the back. Is oh, just that's one him. of the coolest. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah. So cool. it's it's, um, and he. I feel like if he wanted to just do that, he probably could and, and crush it. But his his paintings are, um, are really really nice as well. And and I went to his show recently, and and there's there's something that's like. Um, he clearly has a vision and a process and it's very evident. And when you walk around and you look at all of them together, it's very, 
I don't know how to continuity. say it. cohesive. Yeah, there's continuity, and he there's like there's something that I I think that I expect from like an a gallery showing or something where it's like that everything together works very well, and right. I think my I mean not that I I don't even do enough drawings I'd say to to fill even a small gallery right now, but if I did. I think it's kind of all over the place and it would just kind of be more like, Oh, here's some, some cool drawings I did, but I don't think there's anything. I just, what I don't think I can give what I would expect to see at a gallery. And again, that's not me talking shit about myself. It's just, I don't, that's not how I see my work being placed. And I, and I also think that there's something really fun about, um, adding design and making regular things like for example you mentioned like the matchbook uh like i don't know wine labels whatever putting making those things more visual appealing just like making things in real life all over like adding something to it i think there's something really cool about that um i get a lot of like i get a kick out of that and for whatever reason i just I don't know, it could be something that that changes in the next few years like yeah. maybe i start drawing something in it and it leads me on a path and so I, I wouldn't say that i would never but as of right now it's it's not really something i'm thinking of gotcha if i give you a million bucks what are you doing with that money um it's a it's a question i'm starting to really like to ask people because when, once you start to give them this like perceived key that unlocks a perceived door and a million bucks is not what it was even five years ago but but you know a, a big a big amount of money that you could just vision cast and and do what would you do my girlfriend just asked me this probably less than a month ago and she said it was a very like boring answer um i think i've become very the nature of working freelance has made me very um not even frugal but it's like it's like I never know where the next right. when the next paycheck is coming. Right. And even when I have jobs, I never know when people are going to pay me. So I would I would not do anything too crazy with it. I would max out, you know, my RSP for the year. I'd whatever. I'd put some away. Um, I being freelance, tax time is really not fun ever. So I'd kind of calculate that. I know that sounds super boring. Um, I would definitely. I would definitely take a trip somewhere that I thought would maybe I'm like, who am I kidding? I would go to some chargers games. Obviously nice. I was, I'd go to LA and I'd go to, I go to a couple games. Um, I would just try to go somewhere that could maybe replenish the, I don't even know. Someone just said it to me and I don't have the right term, the artistic, not your diet, but like you need, you can't just, do output all the time. You can't just refill do work. your cup. Yeah. Refill. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So just try to go somewhere and, you know, maybe take it as an opportunity to like say no to a few jobs for not even say no, but just put something to the back burner and take some time to really just go see some galleries that I haven't been to, uh, go to some museums, just see some cities I haven't been to and just try to just try to take in some more so that, I'm not just absolutely depleted absolutely. and uh, just, you know, it's not the most exciting answer, but 
that that is what I. Oh would man, for it's sure. it's not a test. Uh, yeah. That that's I, I get that for sure. Yeah, I totally get that. Why, why are the Chargers? <laughs> why do it I? It makes no sense. Uh, my my mom was a huge Doug Flutie fan. She lived in Toronto growing up. She saw him play a little bit, and just the year that I started watching football, he signed to the Chargers, and that was it. And okay. it's a, it's a cursed fandom. It's I get it. It's horrible, but I'm just I've been a fan since fifth grade. And they break my heart every single year. And I still, I sign up for more. And I've literally tried to quit them. I'm not even kidding. I like, can't quit you. I've ex- my mom has told me, and she's also actually a diehard fan too, but she's compared it to a toxic relationship where every year I'm like, you know what? I'm done. And then they'll sign one player. And then I'm just like, you know, but there's let's a, go. There's, let's. A, there's, a, there's a charm to that tormented, uh, cursed team thing. Absolutely. It's just, you know, I watched my uncle do it with, with the Cleveland Browns. It's just, yeah. it's just one of those. I mean, look at the Leafs. It's yeah. just one yeah. of those things. No, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, only one fandom is actually happy at the end of the year. But for some reason, we all. What, what's your favorite football movie? Favorite football movie. Oh, because you're a football guy, I'm going to assume that you, you must have one. I'm, I'm not a huge sports movie guy, but, I mean, Remember the Titans, obviously, is That's great. That's a good one. That's special. The Friday Night Lights with Billy Bob Thornton. Like, I never saw the show. So I good. I I saw the show. No, neither that's, did I. That's a, it's a great movie. That, that's a great, movie. great and, movie. And there's something about, like, Texas high school football. I know. It's very fast. There's, a, there's a charm to it, yeah. It's, like, it's kind of insane how you, seriously they take it. Did you ever watch the program? No. It's called The Program. Uh, okay. I think, um, oh, what is his name? He just recently died. James Kahn is the head coach. Okay. Um, it's a good 90s high octane college yes. movie. Okay. Check it out. And if you do watch it, shoot me a message and let me know what you think. Okay. I, have, I will, for sure. How, how, so I, I don't want people to miss out on what you do. I was fortunate enough to stumble upon your, your, your work. What is the best way for people to find you on your socials, website, the whole thing? Uh. Honestly, it's probably Instagram. That's where probably 90% of my work comes from, whether it's, and there's also from my Instagram profile, there's a link to my website slash portfolio. There's a, a contact to my email. Uh, so you can kind of see it all from there. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's kind of crazy that sometimes I tell, like I'm, I think I spend too much time on Instagram, but then I, when I look through my work, I'm like, literally all of this is either directly or indirectly oh, yeah. from here. So, sure. so it's, uh, it's been pretty good to me and that's probably where I get, and it's either, if it's not DMS on Instagram, it's someone who clicked on my website from my right. profile and has messaged me through, through my website. But so, your Instagram handle is spilled Malk. M-A-L-K. Yeah. Anybody listening, uh, out of this audience that is growing, uh, if you are attached in any way to Metallica, <laughs> or the chargers please follow those uh cues for please. um joel's socials and reach out to him and then maybe maybe just maybe if this is the avenue that something like that happens uh, joel can send me some merch from metallica as well 100 percent. even if i make a shirt i love it yes one, please just sure. do a one-off um i dude i i don't know when but i'm going to 100 percent be in touch with you about something in the future for uh merch if uh, if you're even if I can even get in with your schedule. Sure. No, for sure. But uh, I, I am a fatalist. I, I, I do know that I, I meet people for a reason. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to consider us friends uh, on the other sure. side of this for sure. And I'm, I'm so happy to have met you. And uh, I'm Likewise. so grateful that you said yes to a complete stranger and meeting me in a hotel room. In <laughs> Toronto. Very nice hotel room. It is a nice say, hotel yeah. room. That does help. Yeah. Uh, but Joel Malkin, I, I, 
uh, I respect what you do. I love what you do. And I'm uh, so grateful for this conversation uh, with you, man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having and, me on. And it was- and of course. And I will be watching with great expectation um, with what you do in the future, my man. I'll try not to let you down. No, Thank and you one so day, uh, please come to my restaurant. Are you ever in Hamilton? I haven't been, but I mean, I spent more time in Ontario. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember I went to a Tiger Cats game. Okay. I think, when I, like, not in my oh, adult life. So, Rough Riders, we are we are enemies. Not not you know quite what? like the Toronto Argonauts, but we are. <laughs> so I'm not even a Hamiltonian anymore. I, I, we just moved to Guelph like four days ago. Oh, okay. Uh, but um, if you are ever going to be in Hamilton, please let me know, and I will. I think it's a lot more likely in the near future than okay. than it has been in uh, years past. So I'll definitely hit you awesome. up. Awesome. All right, done. Uh, everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Um, we love you. We're so grateful for your, your ears and your time listening to us. We will see you on the other side. Thank you so much, guys. Ciao for now.